welcome back to another episode of Unapologetically Joy. My name is Joy, I'm the host of this podcast and we have another amazing guest today and that is Brandon Thomas and he's a philosopher, musician and a podcaster with an obsession for interesting people and stories and he's the creator and the host of the Expanding Reality podcast a really interesting show about philosophy, spirituality, conspiracies, and self-development with the goal to expand your consciousness and to inform you about everything that's going on in the world. So welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much. I feel incredibly welcome. You're a delight already. So this is awesome. Perfect. You're welcome. And I will always like to start at the beginning of uh, someone's spiritual journey. And um, you started in the music industry as a musician. And um, I was really curious about uh, why did you want to become uh, a musician? It's a great question. And yes, um, I actually uh, grew up with sort of an affinity for music. I was just sort of naturally uh, drawn to it. My grandmother played piano in church and stuff like that. And so she had a piano in her house and uh, it was somebody that was very, I was very close to my grandmother. And uh, so, you know, I would go over there and play around and everything like that. And I just kind of became or figured out that I'm self-taught so I can just hear music and then play it, which is really, really cool. I did this with all sorts of things on the piano. And then, you know, later on, I got into band in uh, middle school, as we as we say, the sixth and seventh grade. And I played uh, clarinet because um, they were looking for a woodwind. I, I wanted to be in music somehow. And I didn't know, you know, what to do. I didn't have a guitar or anything like that. So I was just like, oh, I'm going to go be in band. And so uh, I played clarinet for a while. Turned out I'm really, really great at it. I was first chair all the time. And then they moved me up to like a contrabass clarinet, which was really cool. So then that led me into when I was about 14, I believe I got my first real guitar. And that was just a little electric guitar that was just a little like cheap beginner model. And it had no amplifier. So all it was was the strings without the amp. So you know what that sounds like when electric guitar. And so um, I just kept it in tune all the time because it needs to be right with the music in my ear. And then I just would run over to my little radio that I had that I played at a very low volume in my closet. So my mom couldn't hear the kind of music that I liked. Grew up in a very religious uh, household that didn't care for the, the stuff that I liked, anything I liked. And um, so she said, uh, can't do that. So um, went over there and so I would learn this stuff. Now this was, you know, before MP3s and stuff like that. So we're talking in the, you know, uh, early mid nineties. And so, um, I would run over to the radio and just as fast as I could figure out as much as I could of it in the time that it took to play on the radio. And if I couldn't get it all, then I just had to wait until I was in the room and it came back on and I could run over there and grab it real quick. So I, I learned to, uh, to listen and play back really, really fast. So again, very self-taught. So I don't read a lick of music as they say. Um, I've played with a ton of incredibly wonderful musicians. And whenever I got into my own music and and that, after being in a lot of bands, I was in rock bands, country bands, um, uh, folk, uh, just jazz, just all sorts of stuff. I just played in as many different kinds of bands with as many different types of musicians as I could. And then that became my model whenever I got into my own band and started writing my own music. Um, whenever I was looking for people to accompany me, on stage for that kind of stuff, then my rule was uh, you had to be better than me to be in the band, which wasn't really hard to find. But there were some exceptional musicians that I attracted, uh, and they make you better by them being at this level. You're just like, oh, I got to get, get my business together here. 
So um, progressed onto that. Like I said, played uh, all con all over the place. You know, wrote music. That guitar in the back here uh, actually went to China with me. And for an American to to travel is kind of a big deal. I know you guys uh, from the Netherlands and in Europe and everything. You guys just travel all the time. Uh, that's not something Americans do. So I took that thing to China, which was a really big deal. And I was over there for a month. And then I've toured the states and stuff like that. Um, and then just kind of no. put it down. Uh, it's it's wild, but. Um, yeah, just kind of always an itch I can't scratch, you know, kind of a thing. I haven't played in years, I mean, absolute years, but, you know, music's been an incredibly important part of my life for for damn sure. And it's um, really, it makes you look at the world differently, for sure. It's its own spiritual mm -hmm. awakening, you know, yeah, people who sure. play music. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same, actually, because, like, music also have a healing effect on me. And um, I think music is vibration, music is uh, frequency so i really feel like yeah it's also a spiritual experience right so oh yeah and when you went to china that must be such a culture shock right yeah that was wild that was absolutely How, incredible was uh, it was crazy that was like a spiritual awakening in itself um that was in 2007, so I was 25, um, just 25-year-old kid, and I got the opportunity to go over there from another musician who had also gone over there with just this like group, this small promoting team, and it's just this one guy, I say team, it was just this one dude that set up tours for people from the U.S. that wanted to come over to China, and this was just like an invite thing. The guy was like, hey, you know, I passed him your music, he wants to have you on. So I got the opportunity to go, and when I went, it was like a month long, um, all planned out and scheduled out. Now, the reason it was a spiritual awakening in itself is because whenever I was scheduled to go there, there were certain things that I needed to do to get myself there, which included borrowing a lot of money for a plane ticket. I had mm -hmm. CDs made and shipped over there um, that I never saw because I got stuck in customs uh, to sell as merch, you know, to make money to, to go along the trip there. I went over there with like 50 bucks uh, US in my pocket and wow. was expecting to make all this money over there to have enough to travel around and, and more and pay back everybody that I borrowed money from to go over there. When I get there, it was very, very different. So getting there alone was crazy. I, uh, you know, all my vaccinations and stuff like that. I didn't do those until an hour before the flight. And I got very, very sick on my last 12 hour flight over there. And so I was just you know, puking, it wasn't good at all. And uh, then five hours after I landed in Beijing, I was on stage. So it was like, you know, just after a 37 hour trip there, no sleep, just hopped on stage right away. And so, um, but that night uh, was kind of, like I said, another big choice point for me. And that was a big spiritual awakening for me. So I show up like you, like I've already said, having borrowed money to get over there. I'm 25, you know, I'm just a kid anyway. And I get over there. It's this huge world. I was promised money that I didn't get. I was promised a guide that spoke English, which I didn't get. Uh, he knew every word to every Bob Marley song, which was, I guess, the interview process for that job. And, it, and he nailed it. Um, but <laughs> um, and then uh, it was just a very interesting situation. So all of the like grandeur and the things that you just on a bare minimum, like you'll be able to survive and communicate. You know what I mean? Um, those things were immediately taken away uh, in my in my mind, the safety of them or the guarantee that I had of them, which are none really. So instantly I was like super scared and still, like I said, sick from, you know, not, not feeling well from the shots that I took in the 37 hour flight and then hopped on stage and immediately played. And then just the energy and adventure of that. And then now I'm sleeping on a floor, on a tile floor in winter in Beijing, China, um, with no blanket, um, with some cat that just wanted just to hang out with me, which is cool. I like animals. And then 
the guy that I was with slept in a bed with like three other people in a little full-size bed because that's just the situation and because we didn't have enough money to get a hotel. So, and that was the first damn night I'm there. So I'm just like, ugh, you know, and it's so sick to my stomach. And I just go in the bathroom. I'm like crying. I'm puking. I'm just so scared. I've never been more scared. Just, I couldn't communicate with anyone. I had no money. I'm in, you know, China for Christ's sake. Uh, and I'm a kid and I'm not feeling good. So I was just like, dude, go home. You know, I just looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, dude, go home. You know, you're right here. Uh, the air- airport's right there or whatever. Just call whoever you need to call and get the, get the F out of here. This is a huge mistake. But something in me, and this is, this is the part that, that makes it all worth it. Something in me just said, hey, just take a deep breath and get to the next city. You know, um, the next city is four hours away by train. We leave early in the morning to get there. It'll be a whole new day tomorrow. So just get some rest, you know, best you can. Um, you know, stop puking and crying and get some rest just whenever you're ready. And then go on the next city. And thank God I did that. Oh my God, thank God I did that. Because after that, everything was just absolutely incredible. But it took me looking at poor, scared, crying, you know, throwing up me in the eyes in the bathroom and say, one more city, just one more. And if I hadn't have done that, probably been one of the greatest regrets of my life, but I did and moved on and had just, I mean, each city, each moment, each interaction was so much better than the last. We made just enough money to get around. Uh, There was one point where we didn't. And so I played with my guitar case open in the subway right outside the train station to get enough money to just barely get on the train. And we each got a snack on the train and then made it to the next one and we just barely made it uh, to get to the gig to get paid to keep you know because it's a tour everything was scheduled so it was just an incredible adventure uh in itself um wrapped up in an incredible opportunity for me to really transcend uh, a great deal of fear and to uh, allow myself the the moment of stepping into a greater grander version of myself through the opportunity of growth and thank god uh i took myself up on that and it's been a great kind of a indicator for the rest of the things in life and things uh nothing really scares me the way that china did that that night um just simply because of the circumstances and experiences and where i was mentally but if anything does come around like that um i i now move way more confidently into that i'll be able to just breathe and get through it no matter what on the other side it's going to be better and i mean we've you know we were challenged in 2020 collectively we've been challenged with, with a lot of things along the way and uh, it feels like I'm rubber and they're glue, like everything, just ping, 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 ping. I have no attachment to any negative energy with any of it. And I really think that that moment in China, that night of transcending and realizing my sovereignty and just moving forward really have a lot to do with the perspective that I've got now. Wow, so cool. So you're now more flexible and you can yeah. deal more with, with fear. And, yes. And, but, and really... What do, you, what do you do now, for example, if you feel feel that fear what do you do you just go anyway or what do you do yeah well as a good indicator anyway and i guess just great advice is you should always run towards what scares you you know don't uh, shy away and cower from it run towards it that is the way to go there's a wonderful um, story that I've heard passed around that I'd just like to tell you now. There's a you know an animal called the American bison, right? People call them buffalo, but they're not buffalo. They're bison. And we know what I'm talking about, these huge, amazing beasts that are up in Yellowstone in that area. Now, what these animals do is whenever they see a huge storm coming over the horizon, rather than like the other animals, any other animal is going to turn and run away from it. And then they get caught in the storm as it moves, and then they're miserable the whole time. There's a lot of fear involved in that. Now, what bison do that set them apart and and kind of more of something that I model uh, after just visually here, 
uh, would be that they see that storm coming and they run immediately into it because they know that facing their fears and running into it, it's going to last so much less time, go right over them, and they're going to be done with it having faced it head on, right? This is why we say face things head on. And so, like I said, if it scares you, run towards it. And so I've had several of these. I've got several of these coming up uh, for me that I'm very much looking forward to that the old me would have, um, I guess, flavored them or seasoned them with anxiety. But now I just don't experience that. Uh, it's not, it's a joy. It's an excitement. You know, I've really niched down on the different vibrational frequencies of the energies and the words, you know, neuro-linguistic programming has been a big deal for me over the past couple of years and being very mindful of my speech and the way that I uh, say things. And so, you know, saying that you're anxious about something has a certain energy about it, but saying you're excited perhaps is a similar energy, but that has a completely different, you know, resonant frequency to it that allows you to really free yourself with it rather than dread doing it. You know, I've just had that policy for a long time. I don't dread doing it. I look forward to getting it over with. Right. And so there's just a different energy involved in the way that I approach things that I guess most folks would say, uh, no, thank you. Or, this is horrible, or I would have handled it a completely different way. I just have a different perspective on it. Mm -hmm. Wow, amazing. Yeah, I also feel like about failing, for example, you know, failing doesn't actually exist, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's like a lesson and, and failing is only happening when you give up. From That's me. right. So That's right. I'm just going to try anyway, you know, I'm going to do my best, of course. I'm not going to focus on fa failing, but when I fail, it doesn't matter, you know, you can try again or do it another way, you know? Oh, so, yeah. I love failure. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. It has made me so much stronger. And, and because yeah. like you, I, I don't use the word failure. I only say this to relate. And then we're going to say what I really mean, which is feedback. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't get failure. You get feedback. You get information. You say, hey, maybe adjust it and come at it from a different angle you know these it's very interesting the folks that get so hung up on that they're not a hundred thousand percent great at something they first try um, mm -hmm. and then allow that to dictate how they interface with things that challenge them and it's just yeah. really interesting with me um the the fact that whenever you can get past that that in itself is an is a skill set in itself you know and i think this comes from some of the psychedelic uh use that I did because there's no off switch with psychedelics. So once you get in, you're in for the ride. Uh, and I think that this also occurs with anything with these types of perspectives or situations that we're in here. This too shall pass, you know, and I've said that to myself many times in my head when I've been tripping balls and just losing it and just being like, okay, it's not real. It's okay. This too shall pass. There's a lot of value in it. And so, you know, again, to be able to kind of rephrase these things in a, in a way of reclaiming the energy uh, is something that I find incredibly important with this. That's, that's what it's all about. You know, take nothing for granted. Even little old belief systems you thought you had, question all of that shit. Anything you got it rolling around up there, you haven't revisited in a while, take a look at it. Uh, it's just, it's really interesting. You know, all these open tabs people have running in their mind that uh, probably don't serve them at all and take up a lot of bandwidth. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so true. And also, when I'm starting my podcast right now, you know, everything is not perfect in the, in the first episode, you know, but I'm just starting out and I'm just going with the flow and I'm meeting a lot of interesting people. And, yeah. you know, that's already worth a lot, you know, and also 
I'm learning a lot, you know, you have to interview people or you have to uh, learn how to communicate, you know, everything is like a learning lesson for me. So whatever happens, it's okay, you know, but at the same time, of course, it's really nice to reach a lot of people. So that's why I'm also doing it in, in English. And that's also like really out of my comfort zone because I'm Dutch, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I think like, okay, you know, I'm just going to go with it. I just want to reach a lot of people. So I'm going to do it in English. So, yeah. So uh, actually I'm meeting a lot of uh, nice people and I'm already fully booked for January too. So (laughs) everything is going so good. So I think this is really my path because, yeah, it's going really easy, you know, then you know that, that you're on the right path. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and any resistance that comes up is you look forward to it, you know, because it's going to grant you a lesson. You know, there are things like on the show, I do all of it. And so the graphics, the website, everything. And I wasn't a graphic designer until I started a podcast. I wasn't a website designer until I started a podcast. And it's mm-hmm. funny the amount of skills that you'll learn just wanting to make sure that your message is sent the way that you want it sent as far as production quality, as far as, you know, whatever. Uh, and it's just really interesting because that's when you really become, you know, this autodidactic, which I've been with everything. I just want to learn fucking everything, dude. Just, just let me learn. And this is what I love about um, you uh, and your culture as well is that, you know, it's interesting that you say I'm doing this in English just as a, yeah, I just decided to do it in English. But that's so remarkable to me, like absolutely remarkable that the focus Rather than, you know, like, let's say religious bickering or um, political nonsense, you guys seem to embrace a little bit more of let's just get get through it. Let's just learn a little bit more about this place. And what I think is interesting about the Netherlands perspective is you guys know so many damn languages and you know so many different things that you've really culturally embraced sort of a bunch of different areas. And you've gotten such a great perspective as far as the world goes because you haven't isolated yourself to your own ideals. Mm-hmm. And this is something I find remarkable. And again, what, how many languages do you speak? I'm going to just take a guess here and say it's at least three, but I'm, gonna, I'm leaning more toward five. No, it's actually three. No, well, actually, it's four because I'm from the north of the Netherlands and they speak like really old English. But then okay. it's like a mix of German, Dutch and old English. So it's a really like weird language and it still exists, actually. But yeah, a lot of people will not understand it. So I do understand it, but I don't speak it. I I did my exam also in German uh, Dutch, of course, and English, and I'm learning Spanish because I live in Spain now. It's also important. So, yeah. Well, anytime you want to practice your Spanish, I can absolutely help you with that for damn sure. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, but it's still absolutely remarkable. I mean, absolutely yeah. remarkable. I think that's so cool. So, yes. Yeah, and but also uh, with American people, I really feel like you, you, yeah, how do I say this? Like, you want to dream big, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, the sky is the limit. And in Holland, it's more like just act normal, you know, so mm. that's like a different thing. So I'm doing now a lot of interviews with people from America and I really feel more connected because I feel like, you know, my dreams are so big and they just kind of say like, yeah, just go with it, you know, it's just don't worry, just, um, yeah. So it's it's so different from the Netherlands, you know. So interesting. You have yeah. such a broad educational and societal perspective, but 
I mm. guess the advantage for being an American is, yeah, we're, we're told you can do anything. And so we're instilled with that confidence, you know, like a lot of Australians, they call each other legends all the time. So everybody <laughs> grows up being legends, you know, and uh, so that, that's just very interesting. But again, uh, you know, kind of what you and I have chosen to do here. I've been doing this for, it's almost coming up on two years and this, just this show. And it has changed me so damn much. It's going to do the same for you. And I'm so excited because, you know, seeing where you're going, if you just, and all you have to do is not stop. And yeah. so just, <laughs> that's it. Just keep going. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting. Uh, I'm very excited to see uh, how much you learn from this and how much you grow. Cause it's changed me a hundred percent. It's, it's, it's so incredible what you learn and the people and the perspectives you you get an opportunity to enjoy yeah yeah amazing mm -hmm. yeah and i really like to go back to china because um did you ever like perform because you came there to perform oh yeah did, did yeah, you yeah yeah perform later later on uh no we i perf i went there to perform and so i performed the whole time um pretty much every i think every every day we had a show and it was just me okay. so i just went solo just i i went with my guitar and a couple of bags and that was it and like i said i, I mailed a bunch of uh, cds over there so i could have merch to sell and then they got stuck in customs and we never saw them so um yeah so yeah i played all over and what was really cool i guess some of the cooler I guess moments. So like the third or fourth city I want to say that I went to was Zibo, China, Z-I-B-O. And small little, you know, it's not Beijing or Hong Kong or anything, but it had like 30 million people in it, something like that. And um, I got invited to be on the radio station ahead of my gig that night. And so, you know, there were radio promotions and things like that. And this one included a trip up to the top of a 30 story building or something in Zebo China and there were like 12 million something people listening to me on the radio play this little guitar and wow. it was the biggest mind trip because they can tell how many people were receiving the signal and the number was changing constantly but he was like yeah baby, blah, blah, blah. and he said something in my translator this is this was awesome as well so I'm in this huge building on this huge radio station in Zebo China 12 million people are listening now the host absolutely cool dude I forget his damn name but he was one of the sweetest people ever spoke no English whatsoever. Now he shared this with my guide who also spoke no English whatsoever. So we did a lot of pointing and grunting and stuff. And that's how I got around China. But I learned a lot of Mandarin while I was over there, which was awesome. Again, uh, all of it was wonderful. So I don't want to say that any of the, the, the things, the way that I'm saying them, I want to make sure that everybody understands that I find everything that I found disappointing at the beginning to be the advantage of why I had such an awesome time later. As far, like I said, the guy did not speak much English, but that allowed me to start branching out and figuring out the language a little bit more and how to communicate in a different way, right? Um, the same thing with the money. Yeah, the money thing, whatever. But that kept me on my toes the whole time. And then I have this cool story about playing in a subway, barely making enough and for one snack each for us on the train and then getting to the gig just in time just to keep making money to keep going. Like all of the things that were you know, unideal ended up being the best parts of the, of, of the whole trip. So back in the studio. So a uh, guy did not speak any English whatsoever. He did not either. They brought in a translator, this young, young woman who spoke great English. She did, she did great. And so the way that the interview went in front of 12 million people, and I'm sitting here with my little guitar and headphones, and it's like, uh, the host would ask me a question. I would look at her. She would ask me the question in English. I would answer the question in English. She would answer him in Mandarin. And this is how the whole interview went. And it's just a trip. And then he would say, okay, well, you, you play a song now. And I'm just like, okay. And it's just me and an acoustic guitar. And that's it. Wow. There's no way to hide anything. If you screw up, you screw up. And um, it was, but it was wild. It was just, 
things like that. And then driving down the road, and I still have a few of these huge laminated posters they made of my album cover. And it was like the promo photos I sent or whatever. And so it says like, you know, Brennan Thomas, uh, blues folk, jazz musician from Texas. And it's all Mandarin characters all over. And so I have several of these, but you'd be walking down the street and there'd be a huge like two-story billboard of yourself i'm like what that i'm just a dude from texas you know what i mean and it was like yeah. the craziest welcome uh everyone was incredible so whatever they say about china and you know what you hear governments talk about about china that's the governments those are those bullies bickering between each other but the real china real people which is what i saw were unbelievable absolutely incredible the sweetest kindest funniest damn people you'll ever meet and just the, the just I can't say enough great things about it. I mean, really, but it was because I decided to go to the next city. Otherwise, I would have never experienced any of that stuff. So this is good for anybody out there. If you got one of those moments where you're crying, you don't know what else to do. Um, I can promise you that I may have been in a different situation where it was very, very scary. And that whatever you've got going on that's maybe made you tear up a little bit, which there's nothing wrong with, please vent that out. Um, then you can handle it too. Just get through it. This too shall pass. Be that bison charging in the storm and let it roll right over you. Mm -hmm. Amazing advice. Yeah. I also do that. Like, for example, if I'm in a situation which is really stressful, then I think about it will pass. You know, this is my yeah. mantra. Like it will pass, you know, mm -hmm. that's what I always say. And um, it is really funny that you said also about the Chinese people, because my perspective on Chinese people is like really different. It's like antisocial maybe, or mm. a little bit more cold. You know, uh, I don't know how that is, but you know, I also worked on um, on the airport in Holland, for example, and I dealt a lot with with Chinese people, and they were like not social at all to me. You know, uh, it's something I did notice, and and this was just because I got you know from the north all the way to the south and back. I went from Beijing up in the north, you know, the capital, and I mean it's insanely crowded, polluted. I found that all the people up there were very like sad and disconnected. You could really see the weight of the mm -hmm. city and their lives and the, I guess, hopelessness of their situation. You could see that in them. But at the show, you know, people loved American music, so they just wanted to see an American artist play. They were obsessed about it. And when I went there, there was a TV show that had been on in the U.S. for 10 years that they were just getting for the first time there. And so they're asking me if I, like, knew the actors and stuff, and of course I didn't. But it was interesting just kind of to be received that way. And I think that a lot of it has to do with perhaps the way that you and I interfaced with that group of folk. And, and here's why. When you interacted with them on a travel basis, yes, very methodical. They want to get to where they're going. They're not in their element. They probably don't speak English. And so they're, or any, the language of where they're at. And so they just want to get their stuff, not make any waves and move on. Now, that's a very culturally humble society as well. There's a ton of people. You just want to be mindful. You know, there's just, mm -hmm. when you have that many people where you're at, uh, you just are mindful of more spaces and not really standing out in a way that's going to affect the colony or the hive, right? Now, the China I interfaced with was the one that was ready to cut loose from all of that. They were the ones that said, you know, God, it's stuffy here. And man, I have dreams and I'm young and, you know, I'm not... Uh, uh, defined by my situation those are the people that were coming to shows to see music and to see an american play i mean i had people that would tell me they they went on a six-hour train ride just to hear me play a hour set to go back on a six-hour train ride to go home because it was that worth it to them and you know it, it was just amazing the the stories people said about just coming to hear me play at a little bar in china and so 
again, I think that those folks uh, that I was interfacing with was just a different uh, version of the same people you met. It was just a looser version of them. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's also has to do with the governments there or like they're really controlling. Oh, and yeah. You cannot Big even time. have Facebook, right? Uh, correct. So, yes. And what's really interesting, too, there was no, I, I, I think we saw two computers, keep in mind, this is 2007. I saw two computers in places that we went, like people's uh, apartment, they would invite us up, you know, to stay the night or hang out or whatever. And um, they had, uh, most people, though, went to what they call Womba or uh, computer bars. And so they have these huge, long rows of computers and you go basically pay for time and then you can get on there. But everything you look at is monitored, restricted. I couldn't pull Facebook up there. I could barely pull my email up there. And this is my stuff. Like I couldn't even log into my stuff because it's so firewalled, right? Um, and so, yeah, that, that bit of it was interesting because, again, you know, let's say that you're that isolated and somebody comes from a country that's free, that has access to all of that stuff. I had people asking me the craziest stuff. And really it was more of an, uh, an inquisition on what it was like to not be under such an authoritative regime, not to live with such a thumb above you. And it was, it was really interesting to kind of be an ambassador for a free country. You know, it was, it was just really, really weird because they're, they're free in the ways that I guess perception matters, but they're not free in the ways that you and I feel that we are. And even you and I are not free. There's the illusion of freedom, yeah. which is what we have with the collusion of choice, which is what we're given. So, um, but, but over there, it's very, very interesting. You know, and this is kind of what I think uh, with people, you know, like I was talking to a buddy this morning about those poor kids that are hewning cobalt out of a mine, you know, by hand um, to just get us our cell phones and stuff like that. And what it's like to be born in a part of the world that is like that. Now, at a level, you know, without getting all freaky woo-woo on you too far here, but um, I think that we're all one. I think we're all one damn thing experiencing itself subjectively. So therefore, it's you interacting with you on any level that you view this at. And so if you would think then that perhaps then you naturally would ask the question, you know, like, well, what is this place? You know, what are we in? And the where I'm at now, and this changes all the time, I do not, number one, have a fixed version of what's going on here. Um, I, I just entertain the ideas and take them where they go. But I would also say that if I had to guess, this is just like a school or like a simulated reality where you're interacting with yourself and offering yourself an opportunity to grow and uh, be a greater, grander version of yourself through everything that you can sensorily take in here. And this is just an environment in which that occurs. Now, back to the why people then, parts of yourself would, number one, decide to create an environment where kids have to dig cobalt out of the ground, uh, or in China where the, you know, uh, locked, whatever they're doing to their people over there, then one may say that it facilitates a large amount of growth. And whenever I look at anything I've been through in life, no matter how challenging, no matter how mundane, like my, my you know, troubles or whatever have never compared to some poor kid digging cobalt out of a mine by hand. But what I'm saying is, is any adversity that you come across from whatever level of perception you're able to receive that, then it always facilitates growth. Always, always, always. And this is why like the China story, one of the scariest, uh, most horrifying moments of my life, all, it, one of the biggest growing opportunities for me, same with the first time I ever took psychedelics, horrible at the time perspective um, experience, but God, so valuable as far as the after. And so if you look at this back, if we zoom back out and then we go back to the cobalt mines, then you could say that that sort of environment 
with one another, we all have the opportunity for things to change here. But the fact that they perpetuate and the fact that they exist must be for a reason. So there must be people that continually choose or versions of ourselves that continually choose to experience growth that way. Now, I mean, if again, you zoom out to one more level, we're all that. We're the kid tearing that cobalt out of the ground. I'm you sitting there in Spain right now. You're me over here in Millsap, Texas. And mm -hmm. we're all the same damn thing. And I think that it's that the fracture in the past, you know, or whatever past version of this place is, it, it seems to change in cycles. And so it seems that the cycle we're at now is where this is the way that growth is facilitated here. And perhaps mm -hmm. we're moving into a new cycle to where that's not the way that we all need to learn and integrate things moving forward as a collective. Um, and I think that people, as they go through their lives, they will get on an individual level like you. You, you probably don't, you know, um, experience the same traumas that you did as a child or even a year ago and it's because you grow and learn from them so your experience does not need to perpetuate them it doesn't need to present them to you like that again now again uh you know there there's a challenge for us as individuated pieces of consciousness to look at suffering or what we would perceive as suffering or at least a at the most reductive level a not ideal situation for some folks and mm -hmm. it's very challenging for us to look at that and to say, well, they chose this. And, well, it's just part of the facilitation of uh, the expansion of consciousness. Yeah. And it's it's hard. That's honestly the most challenging part for me to wrap my mind around about the whole unity consciousness idea. Like, I get it. Mm -hmm. And there are some days where it makes so much more sense than others. But really, I mean, like you, I, I operate out of a heart center. Like, I... It you know tears me up uh, literally to see the the things and the atrocities and things like that that occur here, especially when you look at it at a level from well you did that you know you you must own the part of your responsibility that you have in that as being part of that collective conscious right mm -hmm. but the role that we play here I think within that duality which is what it is you know uh, our job is to hold the light even though there's a bunch of shit around here that says that you shouldn't that's our job. Yeah, well, I totally agree. <laughs> we are all one and I feel like we're just piece of the universe having a human experience, you know. And um do you also believe for example before before we came to earth, um did we like sign a contract? Did we really like choose to learn these lessons? Do you believe that? You know, uh the B word in me um had departed quite a while ago so believe is a very strong one right because belief is beliefs define folks they they instill cognitive dissonance if i believed that the earth was round then i would not be able to com comprehend the idea of just an alternative conversation right but if i was led by all the things nasa's showing me to question it then I can have the conversation because I don't have a strong belief that it's one way or another. There's a wonderful line, a quote from a movie that I love passing around. This is kind of a just a moniker of mine anyway because of this. It's a movie by a uh, film by Kevin Smith um, called Dogma. And there's a character played by Chris Rock, the comedian in there. And one of the things he says is that I don't have beliefs, I have ideas because ideas are easier to change. So to answer your question with the way that I would phrase it is I don't, uh, the idea that I've got about this place changes constantly, which is great. Like I'm able, that's why the show is so damn successful because I don't, I don't have an ego in this. I'm not here to prove anybody wrong or me right because I don't know what the hell is going on, but I'm open to all of it being true, which is so much fun. And so with that, then to answer your question a long ass way there, um, I, I think the idea that your sovereignty is king is something that I put forth 
with anything. If there's anything I want to believe more than anything, it's that you are a sovereign individual and you have complete autonomy over what you experience. Now, the there's a couple of ways to look at that. You can say that nothing here will harm you in a sense that uh, anything that you experience, you chose to experience. So mm-hmm. uh, nobody is going to... Uh, horribly torture you. Nobody's going to throw you on the ground and stick a needle in your arm. You need to consent for things to occur here is the way that I understand it. Now, another thing is, um, you know, my show is very broad. We talk about a lot. The contact phenomena, as far as like the non-human intelligences or what people would refer to as UFOs or aliens, they're even in that. Uh, there are people that say that you have to consent. You have to say it's okay. And if you don't, they don't mess with you. They don't touch you at all. Mm-hmm. Now, the second part to that is, is on your conscious level, This is what you have power over. This is what you have autonomy over. But there's another level to you, perhaps. And this is the part of you that signs contracts on the other side. Mm -hmm. And that's the version of you that said, yeah, 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 scoop his ass up. He's not going to care for it. He's going to kick and scream, but go ahead and do it. And here's my signature. And you, your conscious self in this version, are completely unaware of it. And you're like, hey, Mm -hmm. what the hell? I thought we had sovereignty, right? And so this gets pretty convoluted with the idea. To me... It can, it's either all of it's okay or none of it's okay. So it either Mm -hmm. works that way or it doesn't at all. And then therefore it's still part of your experience and something you get to choose to have. But then Mm -hmm. the after is, um, I guess, more rigid and we're completely unaware of it. It seems to me, again, the the way that this place works, you complete sovereignty. Uh, And so if you Mm -hmm. look at it that way, then any contract you signed on the other side would have been something that you picked. And that's sort of the way that I look at it. It's, I think that you're offered the opportunity to disconnect from your awareness of that and to have it so that you have an actual experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I really feel like life is happening for you anyway. Of course, you're going to feel really uncomfortable, you know, when you're experiencing something that's not really aligned with your, with your purpose, you know, but at the same, I think in the end of the day, you will always be on the right path, you know, always, because yeah. the universe is going to take care of it no matter what. Um, yeah, I really feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And one mm-hmm. of the best analogies to that, and I, I completely agree. Uh, one of the best analogies to that is the example of a fruit tree that I heard somebody give. If you take a fruit tree at the end of every branch, right, no matter how they twist, no matter how they turn, no matter how different they are, they all bear fruit. There's there's something to look forward to at the end of no matter what path you travel there. Mm-hmm. And I think I really feel strongly that this is what we experience as well, is, is that no matter what it is, you, your path is your path. And you are going to take it anyway, because that's where the fruit is. It bears at the end of that. And especially when you get into this idea of unity consciousness or anything like that, because then you would say that none of this is happening now. It's already happened. And so then the question becomes, well, then why are you experiencing where you are now? And I had a guest on named Heather Thomas, someone you should absolutely talk to. You would love her. And mm-hmm. one of the most comforting things that she said about this idea was that if, if you think about this and all, you know, time is not linear. It's only like this from this perspective and this vantage point because time offers you, uh, duration offers you the opportunity for change to occur. And you need to perceive time in a linear fashion, in some sort of fashion. We perceive it linearly. You need to perceive it that way for change to occur in a certain duration, right? But if you zoom out from that construct or this this environment, maybe it doesn't work like that. Maybe everything that happens here has already happened here. And at a level, you can see all of it. Just think of it again in like a, like your favorite movie. You may have like rows of DVDs, which may be all lifetimes. 
And then you take your favorite one out and you put it in. And this is what Heather said. If you think about it, all of anyone throughout history, you're everything, right? So you're everything. You're every animal, mammal, god, goddess, everything. It, it, why you are sitting where you are as who you are right now is because it's your favorite one. And I love this. It gave me chills so much whenever she said this, because then it's like, okay, well, no matter what you've been through, you could have been Jay-Z if you wanted to be. You could have been anyone that you idolize that you think that their life is better than what you've got going on, but you're not. Your consciousness as the divine creator decided to tune its frequency into you and experience what you are now. Now, the divine creator can experience any of those at any time. It could play any movie it wants, but you're its favorite. And so this lifetime that you're experiencing right now is the one you always go to. It's your go-to because it's your absolute favorite out of all of the ones you ever could have experienced because you've already done them. That I find fascinating. That was so comforting. Yeah, that's so cool. So actually, you always have a choice, no matter what. Oh, always, always, <laughs> always, always. And it's it's whenever you're presented with the fact that you don't have a choice, that's that's when you really need to perk up because that's when there's a huge opportunity for you there to really be a sovereign individual and to really declare that. Mm -hmm. And do you also feel like, um, because some people say that you only have one path, but you have different paths, right? You can just choose or do you think like there's one purpose and this is what you need to do? Yeah, it's, it, it again kind of depends on your worldview. So let's say that we put this into the filter of the what we were just talking about, and that it, basically you can tap into any any lifetime that you want. Then in that case, then from this one perspective in this multidimensional reality that perhaps exists, meaning that even from your one perspective, uh, it splinters off into every decision you never made and also goes. So let's say that we take all of those out and just say your existence now, then yes, I, I would say that it's sort of a more of a fixed thing. Now you have the perception of it being a, a choose your own adventure, right? Mm -hmm. But even in a choose your own adventure book, you know, you're familiar with that? No. No? Oh my God, check this out. There's these awesome <laughs> books growing up as kids. And oh, basically uh, cool. what you do is, is that you go to the front front intro part and it'll give you a prompt of a story and now it'll give you a choice and it'll say okay if you want to go into the dark scary cave turn to page 52 if you want to go home oh, wow. turn to page seven and so what you can do is throughout this entire book there's multiple stories that can occur all depending on how you choose to answer the questions of which page you choose to turn on but then the question would be well then is that all been predetermined for you or did you actually choose it? Because you chose from a list of things that were already there to experience, right? Mm, so so yeah. let's say in this yeah. example, if you are here to experience things that way, then it's kind of already been decided and it's just basically a roller coaster that you go on, but you forget everything about the roller coaster with your magic wand before you mm -hmm. hop in, um, hop down your mom's chute there and you mm -hmm. pop out and here you are and you forget all of it. Th though there may be things like intuition, like, you know, things like that, that can kind of give you a little bit of an inclination, you know, sort of a peek around the corner. Mm -hmm. But in this way, if we are experiencing things this way, then yes, uh, all of it's been decided and you're just kind of replaying it from a point of amnesia. But if you view it from a different point of view, which I have no problem doing, then you could say that this is consciousness creating itself as it goes to reassimilate itself right and so it did so by splitting itself around a mountain called duality and the mountain in the middle is kind of the elephant in the room and you experience sort of darker and lighter paths or choices and then you kind of figure out where they go and in this idea it's more like a simulation meaning that you don't know what's going to happen but you throw a bunch of 
kind of cocktails together. You throw a cocktail of chemicals and particles together and you just give it time, again, with this duration idea, and you see what change occurs. It could be something like that. Uh, it could be something like uh, on a very base level that none of that shit happens and we're just basically... Um, here for a good time, not a long time, and then it's over and you're done. Uh, I, I tend not to subscribe to that idea simply because I think that there's so many cool things uh, kind of to integrate after this. You know what I mean? This is sort of yeah. a psychedelic experience in itself, our entire life. And so mm-hmm. after that experience, though, just like any psychedelic experience, you want to sit, sit with it. You want to spend some time, figure out what you learned, how you grew, uh, and then how you'd like to approach the trip that you have next, you know, differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way that I like to look at this place is that we're all gods in training um, and that basically what you experience here is just a template and you get to create your next reality based on what you learn here. Uh, that's another fun one. Uh, could all be, again, simulated reality. You could be a brain in a vat somewhere being fed electrical signals because your mind would not know the difference. Uh, there, there are a, a myriad of incredibly cool possibilities of what this place is least of all which I think is the official narrative. I think what they tell you is going on is nothing like what's going on. I think it's a boring, watered-down, choose-your-own-adventure. That's the choose-your-own-adventure where you say, I'm going to go home, you know, and you just stop reading the book. You just give up. You let let your um, uh, choices be decided for you, and you never go into the dark, scary cave because it's, it says it right there in the thing. Why would I go into a dark, scary cave? I wouldn't want to turn to page 52. People like you and me, we need to 52. We need to go to that page. We need to get in the dark, scary cave. Because there's a lot of light and joy and awesome shit in there. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I these days, I'm just open for everything. You know, I'm yeah. so open-minded because also the past three years, it's been so crazy. And also with all, like, the propaganda and everything, like, yeah, I already thought like the government, you know, about the world and everything about wars. I already thought like, okay, this is like different what we learned in school. But when C happened, then I think like, wow, this is like so crazy. Everything was so clear, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the year of clarity. And what's interesting is that, you know, what happens on the other side of any situation where it, uh, you gain greater perspective. You know, your integration phase is what we call hindsight's 2020, isn't it? You know, because 2020 refers to your vision, meaning that you have ultra clear vision. And the saying has always been hindsight's 2020. Well, we got a lot of hindsight in 2020, which is very interesting and ironic. That's mm-hmm. what gave us our vision. Yeah, yeah, true. And I also lost a lot of friends, for example, and family members. But you know, I really trust on the universe and everything is going to work out for me anyway. And actually, I met a lot of amazing people along the way, like this last three years. So I'm actually really thankful. So yeah. I'm actually really happy about it. That's what <laughs> you should be. Well, before I was really sad about it, but yeah. yeah. It's again, hindsight, you know, and there were about two weeks in there where I was like, should I get another gun? And then <laughs> uh, I was like, you know, no. I'm not, uh, because that's part of the fear thing, and that's that's part of what they want to buy into. Now, I guess mm-hmm. just to kind of you know put where I'm at uh, with what this place is right now, it's energetic. Uh, I find that your attention is your actual currency here. So mm-hmm. whenever you're being told to pay attention, well, because that's the only thing you really can pay with, other than your time, which also is your attention. You can it can all mm-hmm. be reduced back down to your attention, <laughs> what you are focused on, and then what's interesting is what you're focused on, depending on the energetic vibration that you come at it with and that you view it with what those eyes are 
is what responds to you. So it's just this really interesting thing that uh, whenever I detached from all the nonsense and I, you know, I'm a recovering conspiracy theorist, I, Paul Revered, you know, ran around trying to tell everybody to wake up and that their government was doing this and that for years. And I, uh, it was very toxic. I maybe, you know, woke up a handful of people probably pissed off way more. And yeah, it's just <laughs> right. And it's just yeah. one of those things that, um, I think I'm I'm to the point now for sure. Uh, there's a an awesome show called Macroaggressions that's ran by a guy named Charlie Robinson, and he has the term mm-hmm. conspiracy analyst, which I absolutely love because yeah, it's not like I turn a blind eye. It's not like I don't know what's going on. It's that I don't invest any of my energetic attention to it. I'll look at it, but it's going to get zero percent of any of my energy as far as my attention goes because that's a whirlpool. And if you mm-hmm. think about that, your attention is where your ship is going. Let's say that we're going down a river and your ship is pointed that way. Mm-hmm. That little whirlpool off to the side that can get you stuck in it. The second you look at it for too long, where you're looking is where your boat steers. And so now you're no longer on your highest path over here. Now you're caught in this whirlpool of nonsense. And mm-hmm. the second that you choose to disengage from it is when you will find yourself back on the river. So Mm -hmm. I will say to these things that I pay them no more than a passing glance. Yep, that's going on. Okay, yep, they're saying that too. And then that's it for me because I've really found that my attention being the only currency, that I'm very frugal with how I spend my currency here. And that is that I only select the things that I absolutely want. I've been saying no like crazy and it's been awesome. I, you know, my people pleasing skin has shed um, and it feels great. I just, you, you just have a different... Uh, understanding. And once you reach that, it's, man, everything just falls. It's just, okay, got it. I know what's important now. And it's just to make sure that whatever you're focused on is what you want. That's it. So if you're sitting there watching TV shows that piss you off, or you're watching the news and it upsets you, well, then think of it that way, that you're offering the only value that you have here, which is your attention to something that just constantly pisses you off. Now, Mm -hmm. me looking at this place like a game, um, you know, there's an algorithm to this place. Now, we, when I said energetically matched, it, that's what this like attracts like um, idea is, is that you're a match to like energies. And mm-hmm. so if you're walking around pissed off and scared, you're going to see a bunch of things that make you pissed off and scared because that's just the way that this thing works. Now, the life universe, whatever comes at you or whatever, it has no preference as far as what it sends you. What it does have preference over is that it sends you the highest percentage of attention that you're willing to give it. Now, if it sends you a little puppy dog and joy and something amazing and you only paid like 15% of your attention, but you're over here with all of the rest of your attention concerned about what Trump's doing or what the Democrats and Republicans are doing or what Klaus Schwab's doing. And that is where your energy is. If you look at it in a percentage bank, then that little puppy, you know, you're going to get less of it next time. You're going to get 10% puppy and you're going to get 90% because that's what you're most engaged and invested in your energy in, right? And so it's just going to keep giving you more of that. If you flip the script, I mean, even just half and half or just turn the damn TV off altogether. Uh, you will find that your life absolutely changes because then it's all puppies and shit. Now, there's an idea to this also that it's like, oh, no, you're just going to you fall for everything because you don't know what's going on. Absolutely not. I have transcended that. We are, we are well beyond that. We have stepped over the fence of that yeah. long ago. I know what's going on. I'm not offering any of my energy into it. And that is the real way to beat the game. Mm-hmm. If there is a game to be beat at all, that is the real yeah. understanding to achieve. Oh yeah, I I totally agree. Also, I think this last one year and a half, I just accept everybody that's in my life and who isn't, you know, and 
And for me, I was really trying to wake people up, you know. I was really like a freedom fighter, you know. I was going to demonstrations. Yeah, I yeah. I run for the police, you know. I was really yeah. active. And also at the beginning of this year, people still said to me, like, why are you not sharing um, about the, the thing in your arm, for example, anymore on your social media? Because there's a lot of things happening right now. And I'm like... Yeah, but I don't want to focus on this negativity anymore because it's not going to bring me anything. You know, I want to be aware of it, of course. And of course, I do sometimes watch like conspiracy news, you know, because it's nice to see what's going on in the world. But at the same time, I don't want to convince people anymore. Right. It's taking you're not too much going teaching. To. It is, and it's so toxic for you. And that's part of the joke, right? There are all these mm -hmm. sub- lessons that we learn here. And I think going through the conspiracy theorist is a very important one because it shows, you know, we have heart, you know, we give a shit about people, we care. And one of the hardest things for anyone who can see this place for what it is to experience is to watch their family go through this, to watch their friends go through mm -hmm. this, to watch people that they love continue to have children in an environment where they perpetuate it. And it's, mm -hmm. It's one of these things that it's very, very hard to sit with. And again, it's it's part of the responsibility. It's part of you being strong enough to be woken up is to bear that weight. And to know, though, that it's not a weight for you to bear. To know, though, that it's part of an experience that other individuated pieces of yourself are choosing to have due to mm -hmm. the way that they learn lessons. And then there's something here that facilitates that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, energetic matches, again, like like attracts like. The only reason there are bullies is because there are victims. The second mm -hmm. victims stand up, bullies will vanish overnight. The second that you turn your news off, all this nonsense will be over for everyone. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is not feed it attention. That's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if everyone collectively did this for uh, one day, the world would completely change. Completely mm -hmm. change. Could you imagine zero views on any major news outlets for one day. It will be amazing. <laughs> and think about, and this is uh, why they snuff out free speech so much, or they're attempting to vilify people who question uh, the official narratives. You know what I mean? The term conspiracy theorist was not in the lexicon of anyone until 1964. And that's because everyone was questioning the official uh, Warrant Commission report about JFK's assassination. Mm -hmm. And then you started seeing conspiracy theorists pop up because it was a CIA term to vilify and demonize and ostracize anyone who would dare question what daddy government said. Yeah. So it's, it's with that understanding that people, you know, we, you bear crosses here, but you don't have to look at it like that for very long. You will look at it like that for a little bit like you and I did, because this is just part of the ride. But you mm -hmm. will evolve past that and you'll see mm -hmm. that it's joy and light and love that actually change folks' mind. Because like you and I, we could mm -hmm. run, you and I could do a whole episode on conspiracy, conspiracy theories and just talk about them. And it'd be a blast, darling, mm -hmm. by the way. I'll probably have you on to do that. Um, oh, so that's <laughs> it'd be fun, right? Yeah, we'll do that. But, you know, we're not going to tell folks that they have to believe what we're saying or you have to share this video. I'm well beyond that. Well beyond that. I, I way more consider myself a lighthouse when it comes to things like that. Like, I'm going to stay put. I'm going to be right here. But I'm out here if you want to talk about it, you know. I like that. Yeah. All positivity. And in the end of the day, we are light and love anyway. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And um, also on your podcast, you're talking about aliens. I would really like to dive into that too, because I think it's a really uh, interesting subject. Oh, me too. <laughs> but um, 
Personally, I don't know much about aliens, but I'm really interested in it. And um, what is your perspective on it? What do you think? How how does aliens look like? Is it like from the movies with with this big head, or what do you think? Oh God, so many! How much time we got? I'm just kidding. Um, well, let me let me ask where you're at with it, and that'll help me phrase the phrase my answer. So, where are you with the extraterrestrial phenomena? Mm, I feel like aliens exist. You know, I don't know in what form. Um, I do believe they um, are not here to harm us. I think they see us as like maybe little stupid brothers or something, you know, like <laughs> we are just the the people that maybe have lower consciousness or something. And we just don't know how to, yeah, how to get to that that higher consciousness, you know? And I feel like, um, yeah, maybe we can communicate with aliens. Uh, I don't know. Maybe through frequencies or maybe meditation. Um, yeah, that's what I know. But I'm really curious about, like, what is what is the purpose and how can we, what can we learn from aliens? Well... So where where you're at with this is very interesting. It's it's interesting to hear folks' perspectives that are just not being introduced to it, but that are mm -hmm. considering it in their reality uh, as a as a choice point for for an option of possibility. Because where I started with this is where a lot of people start with this, which is what we refer to as nuts and bolts craft. Okay, meaning that they're they're built somewhere and then they're brought here by a technology that we either may or may not have and this uh, this conversation is going to splinter so much so i'm gonna do my best to keep it from being convoluted so let's stay on the one timeline of uh, nuts and bolts so nuts and bolts craft mean that they're coming from another planet let's say they're traveling here because they have technology that we don't and they're visiting us for whatever reason now motive we can absolutely speculate on and i do a lot of that through witness testimony from contactees and abductees there's there's a difference between abduction and contact contact is yep come pick me up abduction is no no no, no take me back and so there, there's a different energy in the way that it interfaces, which I also find interesting. So if, if, you, if you look at this from the nuts and bolts perspective, then we say that perhaps it's another, you know, we would assume um, higher, highly advanced uh, technological society that's coming here to visit us for whatever reason. Now that again, motives can split into many different ways. It's a hybridization program. We're part of them in the sense that they just kind of bred us, dropped us off on a place and said, okay, let's see what happens. And then they come down and tinker every now and then with their little experiment and fly back up. And that's what we see and experience is one idea. Uh, I had a guy on last year in the first year of the show named Paul Askoff. Highly recommend this dude. Um, he wrote a book called UFOs, The Real Story. I'm going to have him back on beginning of next year, but um, his idea is interdimensional. So again, the, this goes so far as to you know where your mind is willing to let you go. So let's just go with it. Uh, interdimensionally, meaning that um, they're not from a place, a physical place, as you and I would recognize it. They're from a different dimension altogether. And this is why... This could be one explanation of why we see them blinking and out of existence, why they'll appear and then disappear, why they shoot off in uh, direction, why some people have reported openings that they go into and then disappear with a different background, like a portal, let's say. Um, there, there are many different ways that, that this one idea can be branched as well, because then you talk about, well, if it's interdimensional, time probably works different. 
And then you bring into the conversation uh, future humans coming back in time machines, which, oh my God, I love so much. I uh, This is one of my favorite things. I was so in in love with this idea because I'd been on the nuts and bolts thing for like 20 years and never really been introduced to a new idea about the UFO phenomena until about uh, 2018, 2019, somewhere around in there. And then people started coming out with different stuff and I'm just like, oh my God. And that's when Michael P. Masters' book came out, Identified Flying Objects. And Dr. Michael P. Masters, who I've had on the show, um, he is a biological anthropologist uh, from Montana Tech University in Butte, Montana, a tenured professor. And he weighed in on the extraterrestrial phenomena as a tenured professor. It was It's fascinating as a biologist. So he looks back at human skeletons and he says, okay, well, how we progressed as humans with whatever dead ones they left laying about for us to discover, allegedly, um, then here, if we follow that natural progression to where we are now, if we look at the contactee reports as far as bipedal head, like you said, large head, that's not the only thing being reported. But what was interesting about contact reports is some of them look like humans, like you and me. They could walk around no problem. Mm-hmm. Some do have the big head and the large almond-shaped eyes. Um, some that do have big almond-shaped eyes are in different colors. Some are slightly green, slightly brown, slightly pink. Uh, not all of them are gray. Some are blue-gray. Another one would be reptilians. Another one would be mantis beings. Another one, these... Um, archons. So you have all of these different characters that people have said that they've been engaged and interacted with that have all told them that they're from different places in what we would call the universe. None of them have fessed up and said, really, um, in in some small examples to these people that they're interdimensional at all, or that it's even possible, or that time travel is possible at all. But some people have had experiences to where they say, yeah, we're future humans coming back in time machines, making sure that you people don't screw things up. Or they say, like Dr. Michael P. Masters claims, is that they probably got to a point evolutionarily to where their mm-hmm. DNA couldn't handle it anymore. And so they need to come tap to a purer source, which is us. Now, all of these ideas are fantastic and awesome. Uh, I hope they're all true, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not uh, married to any one of the ideas. Uh, another version of this conversation could be that they're all ours, that it's all human craft, and that really what they've seen is uh, advanced by um, animatronics and cloning technology that the governments of the world have had and have had forever, and they just kind of release these things on the public for whatever reason. You know, I mean, there have been some genetic manipulation going on. There have been this sort of um, malicious intent, but also they say it's good intent. So if it is all human beings, some are telling them that nuclear war is horrible and some are telling them that it's great and they should keep doing it. And so there's, you know, dissonance amongst the interactions. So again, this can get so damn convoluted. Um, The part I'm kind of at with it is more of a psychosemantic thing. I think that it's more created by us. And one Mm. of the things that's led me to that is with some of the research I've been doing into quantum physics lately, some folks I've been talking to also speaking with people who have had interactions with these things, and they all have different stories. This this has been one of the most fascinating things about the contact phenomena is how subjective Mm -hmm. it is, how many different experiences people can have, but that kind of are put in the same umbrella like an abduction, right? The Mm -hmm. two people will be abducted and one sees owls and said nothing happened at all. The other sees grays and said all of this stuff happened. Two people will be standing outside. One completely sees a UFO. One does not at all. So what's going on with that? Why why are the experiences that people are having so varied and wild? And why Mm -hmm. some people see craft, but it's very rarely the same craft. No people have photographed the same craft twice. So why does it change all the time? Um, You know, is 
we progress with our technology pretty quick and the new iPhone comes out. But I mean, every second, it seems that a new person comes out with a UFO, they change. So how quick is their upgrade policy? You know what I mean? So it, it seems that with them being so subjective for this person and some people, they appear as demons, some people, they appear as angels, some people, they appear as children, uh, some people, they appear as these alien creatures. And what it tells me is, is that this is a for you experience, that if we go back to what we talked about at the beginning of this, saying that you signed a contract on the other side, that perhaps part of that contract for some specific folks is to include these types of experiences. And they do them in ways that are very sync, uh, choreographed to their life as it is now. And it's going to play a very important role in the experience that they have here on Earth. Whether they tell people about it or not, it's still something that they experience and now that they carry with them. So again, this is a very subjective phenomena that on the outside of it, if you just take it from where we've come from, which was somebody found, you know, uh, photographed something metallic looking in the sky. And then somebody else said that they found something else that kind of looked that metallic thing, but it wasn't. And it landed and there were people inside. They were really weird. They were real small and all that. And then somebody else said, no, no, no. When I saw them, they were mantis beings and they were flying some completely different orb thing that wasn't even a ship at all. And we got in it and then we were just in nowhere. So again, all of these experiences that people have at a level, something phenomenal happened, but none of them are consistent. Even with some of the similarities, you could still boil everything down to that there's very specific facts of that case that apply very specifically to that individual. It's wild. Like, it's absolutely wild. So many theories. Yeah. Oh, just so many. And it keeps going. I mean, simulated reality. Uh, they're just um, artifacts of this experience. If this is sort of a game, um, then they're employees of this, of this reality to kind of come in and fix everything or tweak things or, again, uh, pepper the experience and flavor it in a certain way for certain individuals. Uh, another one would be that it's all djinn. There are these creatures called djinn. And um, basically what they, they were, what the genies were based off of, they're blue entities. Um, some say they're from here, some say they're not. But they basically have the power to shapeshift. They can appear as anything or anyone, animals, uh, mechanics, um, a UFO, uh, anything like that. And they can deceive you 100%. They could tell you anything. You, they can make you believe and experience anything that they want. So if there's a creature like that running around, maybe mm -hmm. all of it is just them and they know you so well because it's their job to that they tailor the experience just for you. And mm -hmm. they're able to shapeshift and turn into anything that they want, but it's all technically one entity. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're actually guiding us. They could be. Now, at another <laughs> level, it's all you. And so it's just yeah. you doing all of this for you. Now, another one is, is in all of this assumes that we all live on a ball. Maybe we don't. Maybe we live in a flat, expansive plane and they're coming from extra land that's just on the other side of the ice wall. And they have to tell you that they're coming from Zeta Reticuli or whatever to keep the ruse going because this landmass, this area that we're in, provides a certain experience for us and we all signed up for it. So part of our sovereignty is for us not to know the truth about this place because it would ruin the experience. It's like spoiling the ending, right? So mm. when you start considering all of these possibilities, any of them are possible and none of them are falsifiable. You can't say that we're not living in a dimensional reality where your brain is hooked up to a vat and that that's what's going on. You can't say that we're mm. in a flat, expansive place because you can't trust what the governments and NASA tell you. So um, yeah, of course. <laughs> unless you're experiencing it for yourself, it's really, really tricky to find out what's going on here. And even if you are experiencing it, air quotes for yourself, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of psychedelics. There are people who... Uh, do a lot of interesting things in your death experiences that they can't 
duplicate for anyone else, but they really had an experience that altered mm -hmm. them, that they very much felt was occurring. So all of it, I think it's fascinating. And the, mm -hmm. the more I contemplate things like this, just the more amazing it gets, to be honest with you. And this is why I have no idea what's going on here. Because think if I were to pick any one of those and say, yeah, that's what's going on. It'd be yeah. a way more boring interview, Joy, wouldn't it? Yeah, then, <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, no, this is what's going on. And then I'd have to argue with you that, no, that's why. And this is why. Because of this thing that this guy said one time that I just completely believe, even though I didn't look it up for myself. Like, it's that kind of cognitive dissonance that is such a turnoff for me. Yeah. Such a fucking turnoff. Ugh, mm -hmm. Gross. Yeah, but Consider also new possibility. belief in a government, you know, they think the government is the gods. And they believe everything what they say and they don't think for themselves, you know, so... It's actually the same, like you have one truth and that's it, you know? You know, part of me um, sees this for what it is and absolutely agrees mm -hmm. with you 100%. Another part, you know, we'll consider this as sort of a, a philosopher. Uh, I will consider this as, well, why? You know, why, why is it so difficult for people to see things that are so obvious for you and I, right? Yeah. And when you look at yeah. the percentage of the population, let's say, it's about 80%, okay? Let's just, you know, for um, shits and gigs here, say 80%. About 80%. And even that 80% has an echelon of about, you know, their top 1% of just dingbats that are running around just telling everybody, yep, this is it, this is it, and nothing else is going on, and they all listen. Now, what's interesting uh, is sort of the place I'm at with this, with even just considering the reality uh, itself, is to think of those folks, again, as employees here. So think of it like you need a certain percentage of the population, air quotes, on earth that you and I believe are here, are told are here, let's put it that way, that think and act a certain way. Now, you and your real reality know that about that same percentage is around you right now of those people that think and feel that daddy government's right, you know, govern me harder, daddy, right? And mm -hmm. it's, it's those things, but it's really when folks like you and I break, uh, I'd say break out, I'd say discover that there's other options here, that you will find that folks like you and I are planted right in the middle of big groups of these 80%, because you've got to be. You need to be immersed in something that doesn't make sense to you for you to really decide that it is true for you, right? Yeah. Whenever you break through the other side of that, there is this level of this 80% where you sit back and you thank it. You're like, God, thank you for being so hard on me. Thank you for being such a pain in the ass. Thank you for sucking so much because I learned so damn much. And mm -hmm. then if you can look at this and you can go, okay, well, if I'm able to come to that conclusion at where I'm at right now, which I still don't feel like I know a damn thing, zoom yeah. out a little bit. Perhaps this is the way that the experience is facilitated because you have adversity, you have challenges here. There's a great guy who you got to get on the show named Pat Mahan. Uh, he runs a show called Like Attracts Like, which we've been talking about mm -hmm. a lot here. One of the things that he described about this place, uh, because I, I don't look at it as serious as everybody else. I really do think it's a game, a ride, a, um, just a school, just a Hogwarts. It's just a place where there's a bunch of things here that you can experience and you learn and grow through it. You know, it doesn't have to be scary. You can make it scary if you want, but it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. So what he says is that, you know, this is like a play, right? Mm -hmm. Even the, but the villain and the hero at the end of the play go out and bow together because they're both necessary for the story to occur. So you need villains to have the heroes. You need white hats to have black hats. You have to have this. And it's just another part of this duality soup that we find ourselves in. Yeah. So 
whenever I look at the 80% from this point of view, I see them as a very necessary element, a, a, a very necessary character. You know, the 80% are a very necessary character, one singular entity that believes a certain way, votes a certain way, looks at you a certain way when you don't, and that's meant for your growth for your expansion and you do it through not fitting in which is your first innate innate thing that you want to do that's it's innate in all of us to survive right it's a survival mechanism if you don't fit in and people think you're weird in the tribe then they don't let you eat the saber-toothed tiger and you can't sleep in the cave and you're probably going to die right mm -hmm. so it's it's against all things in you that you break out even with numbers around you with all of that that you decide to say actually this is really how i feel and this is very true for me and there is something so empowering about that and i think that that's why the process is the way that it is is so that you are empowered by your own discovery of it and this is how i think again you're empowered um to do this so if you look mm -hmm. again at this 80 percent Another fun idea that I've been playing with is the idea that not every person here is a person. Mm -hmm. Now, this gets pretty tricky because now you're talking about NPCs or non-player playable characters, okay? Now, there's a bit of emotional and emotional maturity that needs to be achieved before this part of the conversation is had. And that is to where everyone knows I'm not some piece of shit saying to run around and kill people. What I'm saying is if you follow the idea far enough, then perhaps some of the people you interact with aren't real. Real in the sense that they're not inhabited by a soul. Now, this does not give anyone permission, hopefully, because again of this emotional maturity, to just go around killing people because that's silly. That's dumb and that's not who mm -hmm. you are. And that violates your experience here. Yeah. yeah. So what I think is, is that, you know, if you look at this as not all, like they're inhabited, they're, there's something steering them, but it's more of an automation. You know, it's it's more robotic, it's more conforming. And this is why, again, I think that the that percentage of people vote the same way, they think the same way, they instantly are updated on the same things. It, it, there's sort of a, it, it's just, uh, they're tapped into a hive mind. So what I think though, with this is folks like you and me are real characters here. We're the ones here playing around with all of the NPCs here to provide an experience and they kind of fill up the background and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, a fun way to kind of look at this as well is just to ask yourself if you've ever seen your neighbors bring their groceries in. It's a good way to kind of go, oh, maybe I'm living around a bunch of NPCs because you a lot of people have never seen their neighbors bring their groceries in. And that's a pretty interesting thing. You go once a week, you know, sometimes twice mm -hmm. if you need to get something extra. Oh, yeah. And it's you really never fun. see other people bring groceries in. So this is a fun mm -hmm. way to think about it. But, you know, when I take this idea one step further, what I think about what went on in 2020 and what's going on currently is let's say mm -hmm. that, yes, every body walking around here isn't inhabited by a soul. But uh, let's say that there's a percentage of people here that have to be at that level of unawareness for an experience mm -hmm. to be had. But let's say that the experience is changing. Let's say it's marked by something called, I don't know, going from Pisces to Aquarius and that there are these long scale cycles that occur here to where yeah. the percentage of people here are inhabited by different people. So let's mm -hmm. take it like this. I know this is really deep, uh, but let's say that those 80% now are 70%. And that there's been a little bit more people on the other side, let's say, that have gotten tapped in to come join the game. And they're like, oh, God, yes, I finally got a body. I'm ready to go. And they'll mm -hmm. tap into one of those people who you worked with, who the last time you said the government's being weird, aren't they? And that mm -hmm. person was like, no, what are you talking about? I love the government. 
Now, all of a sudden, they come at you with a different twinge in their eye. And they're saying, you know, I heard this thing about the government. And it's really weird. Yeah. And I thought maybe I could talk to you about it. All of a sudden, these people are woken up. Now, did they just come to their senses after, what, 50 years of not believing anything and, and towing the line really, really hard? Or is it a possibility that they were swapped out? Like, meaning that, you know, we, we hear about these ideas of walk-in spirits and all of those kind of things to where basically you, somebody could experience a certain set of traumas here on this earth. Like, let's say get in a horrible car wreck and lose their arm or something. And they, in that moment, in that near-death experience, will have a choice. Then they could say, either you can go back in your body and you can live it for the rest of the time, or you can say, no, thanks, it's good. I'm good, I'm tapping out. And sometimes mm -hmm. people will say, no, thank you, I'm not going to live the rest of my life like that, I'm tapped out. There are tons of souls, allegedly, that will hop right in that body and say, absolutely, I'll go, oh my God, I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> and they finish your life. And maybe this is why when people get heart transplants, when they have near-death experiences, they speak different languages, they start playing drums and they've never played drums in their life. Their food tastes change. You know, there's a lot of interesting things that occur with the character that you used to call Tom, that mm -hmm. once he had that experience, he's not Tom anymore. You know, there's something else that is driving Tom. Now, again, if you can look at this as like our mass awakening is just a bunch of really enlightened beings being poured into a bunch of bodies that were taking up space here to propagate a, neg a narrative, which then gave us the experience that we had to wake everybody up. And so it's this huge shift. Mm -hmm. It's just an idea I've been playing around with. I have no idea. Oh, it's a really cool theory, actually. <laughs> I never <laughs> heard fun. of that. And, and I really feel like we also need the dark to see mm -hmm. the light. I really feel that. And we need also the dark to learn things, to, to grow. Yeah. And I really agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Got to. It's mm -hmm. just the way this place works. Now you can mitigate it. You know, it can be easier. Um, just learn your lesson and move on. You know, uh, yeah, that, that's a great way to do it. I'd say yeah. definitely, you know, and it's very hard to heal yourself and to grow if you're always watching the news or if you're always worried about what somebody else thinks of you or... You're always worried that, um, you know, you're not wearing the right mask or, you know, the right uh, color on your Facebook profile. Like if you if you're fitting in well and you're with the tribe enough, you know, it's very hard to focus on yourself and to grow and to cultivate your own garden when all of your energy is externalized to make sure that you are fitting in with the 80 percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like a really big lesson for me mm -hmm. that I need to focus on. Yeah, what is possible for me and not what's not possible. And also, I was such a pleaser all my life. And that was also a really good test for me when mm -hmm. the sea happened. Because I felt so uncomfortable for having my own opinion, you know. But yeah, I really learned from it, yeah. But how did you feel after you spoke up for yourself? Oh, yeah, it was so good. Right? But you <laughs> needed that. It was really scary, yeah. And you ran towards the fear. You're the bison in the storm. You ran into yeah, it. Was, you said what yeah. you needed to say. And then you moved on. And you feel greater and more empowered because of it. I'm so proud of you. That's a microcosm of everything we've been talking about here. Mm -hmm. Just having your own voice. Yeah. Great job. Amazing. And what do you do, for example, to feel connected with yourself? Do you also meditate or what do you do? Yeah, uh, great question also. Um, so I am... 
not a huge fan of the sitting meditation. It just doesn't really work for me. I'm very active. And so I actually, we live on 12 acres out here. We have two acres around our home that doesn't have donkeys or anything on it. It's just for us. And so um, we have a big uh, pecan orchard back here in the back. And so what I did was I took my mower and basically I mowed and left about an acre of it, just tall grass, like just let all the wild grass grow up into a field with all the you know, flowers and everything else. And then I mowed like a pathway through the entire thing. And so it's a labyrinth. You walk in one way and you walk out the other, uh, walk in the, walk out the same way. So um, basically it takes you about 45 minutes to do it round trip. And what I'll do is do it barefoot. So now I'm grounding as well as getting fresh air in nature. I never take my phone with me. Um, and it's, uh, the dogs are running around. I've got, you know, the dog will come up and greet me. And it's just these moments. It's just a series of moments throughout this walk that that's what I consider my meditation. And I really go in there, walk this thing. I'm healed by the time I get out. I've, you know, done my grounding for 45 minutes with bare feet on the ground and 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 also achieve this meditative state. And it's just incredibly therapeutic. Um, mm. I, I ground like that also. I mean, I quit drinking a year and a half ago. Um, so none of that. Um, also, I'm just very mindful, like I said, of my attention. Um, if I if I don't feel like doing something and there, I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm very intuitively guided to do things these days. I'm not, uh, really caught up in, um, a bunch of the anxiety with it anymore. And so I stay grounded by being mindful of my thoughts, to be honest with you. And that's been something very, very important. Amazing. Yeah. But I also feel like meditation is not only doing this guided meditation, sitting, you know, it's, it's like so many different things. For example, I, if I go to the gym and when I don't have my headphones on, for example, for 15 minutes, then it's also meditation, you know? So, yep. you know, it's, uh, it's so different. And, um, yeah, I would like to wrap it up for now, Okay. but, um, let's plan a conspiracy, uh, podcast that will be so much fun because yes. I think we got a lot of things to uh, cover Absolutely. And, um, but before we wrap it up, everybody has to follow uh, Brandon on social media, of course. Uh, on Instagram, it's uh, Expanding Reality 2022, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I changed and it. My then, old one got zapped. So we had a new one added. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, also expandingrealitypodcast.com, right? It's your website. I will put all the links in the description. Everybody has to go to his podcast, of course. It's a really interesting show. And uh, But before we leave, do you have some nice ni nice words or some nice knowledge to uh, share with the audience? Oh, man, I'm, I'm sure they're done hearing me talk by now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say thank you um, for, for having me on. This is a delight. You're a joy, of course, pun intended. But I, it, it, this has just been awesome. And it, it takes a great host for... For somebody to feel uh, like they can just open up and you've done that. So thank you. You know, oh, all the praise goes to you here at the end. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for these nice words. <laughs> you've been a really nice guest. And uh, thank you so much for being on my show. And thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. And I will see you in the next one. Bye-bye.